Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Treehouse, Episode 10, Life on the Isle of Grain, with Danny Baker and me, Louise Pepper. Very good morning to you, everybody. A very good morning to you. Here we go again with another two hours of fun for old and young without the slightest hint of vulgarity. Yes, two hours. I was going to say, <laughs> Phil looks a bit asconce <laughs> through the glass no, there. Uh, we, we, uh, I, I just feel particularly garrulous today, and I hope you'll stick with us for it. Uh, oh, I've got nowhere else to be. Go we, ahead. Well, you know what? I, I, we've only done ten of these, but it does feel like we've been around forever. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, if you've never heard the show before, um, then and then just uh, pull up a heap of sand, sit down, and I think uh, you'll be able to... Uh, uh, what they used to say, the comedians, didn't they? They used to say, it's a very educational show. When you listen to this, you'll say, well, that's taught me a lesson. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, here we go again with the second of this week's Treehouse. I think it's just number ten, isn't it, Peps? It is. And what subjects are we asking the audience to uh, look askance at? This is very efficient of you. You said you had an agenda well, I'm, 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 well, go on. OK. Number one, what have you found on the pavement? Yeah. That's after I found the Max Bygraves vinyl, which I would keep meaning to bring in, and we can see if we can try it live, see if it works. Number two, overhearing yourself being described. <laughs> number three, <laughs> that's just going on Twitter. Uh, number three, <laughs> celebrities <laughs> Celebrities a pet seem to hate. Mm. Number four, what famous people have said to you in dreams. Number five, having to lie about your age. Number six, prizes you won but didn't want. Number seven, it happened in the bath. Number, number eight, going through the wrong door. And number nine, returning gifts. If you listen to the last show, you can discard six of those because that was the last show, isn't it? but there are new nuggets on there like hearing yourself being described. That's a sister subject to an old favourite, which is they didn't think you spoke the language. Oh. We get a lot of people doing it. We'll do it another week. So, uh, as usual, I like to make people aware of their... Uh, today's position in the canon of uh, well you don't need the canon of history it's just history isn't mm. it okay so um, and how about this in 1569 today it, it depends if you're listening to this on the uh, Saturday but uh, today this on the Saturday the 11th of January yes um, the, ver- the very first lottery the very national lottery oh. how about that it's funny ain't it we think we're new with I things, know they did really the first national lottery because the coastal defences around Britain were pretty slack and, uh, and one of the courtiers would have said, Mum, surely we can raise the taxes. <laughs> we did that the last six weeks running. Uh, and uh, so they, they decided on a lottery. How about this? 400,000 tickets they printed, except they didn't print. They were all blank. What you did 
You paid 10 shillings, and that takes us back to the last show. No, you know what wrong. 10 shillings is, though, don't you? Um, oh, you must know. You don't, don't pretend you're thick. You know what 10 bob is. Ten, it, 120p. <laughs> It's 50 pence. 10 shillings. There's 20 shillings in a pound, so it's half a quid, so therefore it's 50 pence. Oh, OK. You see? Yeah, I've left really down again. Uh, yeah, that, anyway. It's, so it's 50p, but in 1569, 50 pence was worth, like, sort of 75 pence. OK. 15 bob. Uh, <laughs> but 10 shillings, but a lot of people um, got clubbed together to buy a ticket. Uh, every ticket was guaranteed a prize. Oh, OK. Oh, and back to the tombola at the fate again. And more than you know, because there was no numbers on the tickets in 1569. They were way Head. What you did, you wrote down an aphorism or a phrase you liked or a biblical thing, and then they all went into a tub, right? A blindfold schoolboy at St Paul's was wheeled on. This is completely true. And he picked out one um, from a tub where people had written things down. So I can mm-hmm. say, that's me. Uh, uh, and then he went picked into another tub to see what you'd won. This is exactly, so they're exactly the trick. Well, no, no, it's not. It's the, the, we bro- are missing the broadcasting gods are good to us. They said, you know what? There's more background on that. Uh, so and that's what they did. And, and you could win anything from a tapestry to five grand. Wow. But it was a flop. Oh. Yeah, they sold less than uh, 37,000, tickets. But the winning ticket picked out by the blindfold boy read God send a good lot for my children of which I have 20 truly yeah and, and, and he won and Money Week magazine I looked at to get all of that and that's today Peps how about that uh, are you... how do people know about it this is 15 well, whatever, it, whatever well, well, they, we they, they, if the Thames was frozen you had a printing press that's it and it probably was yeah. so they printed it out guess what happened today the lottery flopped and they didn't do it again <laughs> for like another 400 years but they had a go and the main thing is You've got to try something. No, I don't know how it's written down. No. I mean, there was... Not many people would have been literate, would they? Well, you had... Yes, they were. See, here's the thing, and and, uh, and, um, and we'll get the show started, as you know, any second now. Uh, here's the thing. People like to think people were filthy and stupid years ago. That's now. Uh, <laughs> no, honestly, it's the arrogance of chronology. But people never... No-one's ever liked to be filthy. They, they did the best with their mm. houses. It wasn't easy. But when you see people walking around, you know, blowing their nose on the floor, people, certainly mums have always been mums, and have always said, yeah, I've literally just swept that up. You put the pig outside. Now, uh, but that's true. If you read any of those books, people tried their best. Mm. They didn't want to be, yes, by our standards it might be, or not where we broadcast here in Old Street. That's absolutely medieval out there. But um, uh, they tried, and equally, they were educated as best as they could. Yes, true. Look at Watkin de Word. Now, Watkin de Word, sorry, perhaps we will get going in a minute, but you know once you start tugging at a thread. You know Place what, or a person? Do you know what kindy word is? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, what kindy word? Uh, where's my classy music? Because this is, this is I'm bringing you something straight off of the... Uh, uh, anyway, what kindy word? Let's go here. Everyone knows Caxton, right? Yes, in the first press, printing press. So, so there's your information for a start. His assistant was called Watkin Oh, we're not on these again, are you No, know, he was. His name was Watkin de Word. Like the Morse code again. Yes, but, he, no, but his name was Watkin the Word. <laughs> Honestly, his real name was... Like a rap artist. And he worked, no, but he worked on the first printing press and his name was Watkin the Word. <laughs> that, that's like the fellow on the Golden Shot called Bernie the Bolt ended up putting the bolt <laughs> into the Golden Shot. That's, that's not chance. Uh, so the point is, anyway, that the lottery started today against that it's alexander hamilton who wrote the big hit show that everyone goes to see his birthday today <laughs> uh and mary j blige oh okay how old today is mary j blige oh 
heck? Uh, 50. Oh, she's 49, but no. Oh. Uh, I, she's, she's, to me, Mary Jo Bryce is madly contemporary. I think the kids are all going to say, hey, he's mentioned Mary Jo. I didn't know, you know. She... Well, no, I knew she had to be around 10 Did years you? older than me. I thought so she was I, having I hits and she was as popular as By me. the way, Louise, you're not 40. So. No. <laughs> what have you got over there, Beth? Let's start this. Uh, well, yes, go off. This is from Richard. Uh huh. This is about prizes you didn't want. Okay. This must have been around. Oh, sorry, Peps. I just found me Watkin de Word music. Okay, look, oh, get, no. just throw it in. England, 1569. Caxton is auditioning people to be his assistant on the new printing press. You, sir. Sit down. Your name? Watkin. Mm, which Watkin? Watkin de Word. The job's yours, sir. How about that? I found it. Oh, sorry, Peps. Off you go. <laughs> <laughs> this is around 1974 and I was 12. Uh, LBC was on for some reason and oh. they announced a phone-in competition. A question, who was Telstar by? Oh. I couldn't remember if it was the Tornadoes or the Tremolos, but I rang the number, oh. forcing the rotary phone dial to get through more quickly. And to my <laughs> amazement, I did. I told the girl it was Tornadoes or Tremolos. She said, you have to choose one. Being a 12-year-old boy, I'd never been under such immediate and intense pressure. Mm-hmm. And a tsunami of adrenaline coursed through me and I said, I'll ring you back. And ran out of the room, slammed the phone down and ran out of the room. I ran out of the house, straight to the next door but one neighbour, hoping their son was in who knew loads about music. Knocked on the door that was eventually opened by Mrs Reed. Is John in, I asked. When told he was, I ran straight up to his bedroom and blurted out, Who did Telstar? <laughs> just finishing this boy, just fearing it. I think the BBC must be very slack with the callers. He's got all this time to get back to him if he does. <laughs> he amused, he answered without hesitation. Tornadoes. Tar, I said, and legged it back to mine, leaving him looking inter- inter- internationally bemused. I don't know if that was oh, international is what he was aiming for. Straight to the phone, I forced dialed LBC again, and to my astonishment, got straight through again, <laughs> this time with the correct answer. I was trembling. They put me on air, and with my breaking voice, I correctly answered the question. Visions of a new hi-fi were going through my mind. Tickets to West Ham, maybe. Whoever the DJ was, <laughs> and bear in mind, I was was heavily into Slade, the sweet focus. I have never felt more deflated when he said, Congratulations, Richard, you've won a Pat Boone LP. Nonsense. I was 12. The rest of the day was ruined and the wound is not fully healed. When this prize arrived, I took it straight into the garden and frisbeed it as far as I could. Then I retrieved it and shot it with a cat gun. Well, you watch out there because anyone knows my human beast story, which I'll tell one week, knows you shouldn't <laughs> always rush into those things. Pat Boone in 1973. I think Pat, I'm not suggesting the fella is over-egging it. It's probably a Gilbert O'Sullivan record. He thinks that's quite cool now. But Pat Boone <laughs> hadn't recorded anything since April Love in 1960. Maybe they'd found it in a cupboard. Maybe they, I could yeah. get rid of this. Uh, I, well, you know, God bless you, Pat Boone. He made a heavy metal album once as a gimmick. Uh, but that's, that's the sort of thing we needed in, in terms of prizes you didn't want. Now, on the last show, we did um, uh, touch upon the definition of time. What is... T- well, you, oh, yes. You read it out, didn't mm. you, from uh, what time is. It's a very deep dish, but here we go. Time. And now uh, Tim Haveron-Jones gets in touch with us. What ho, saps? We've got to do that, haven't we? Oh, we've only got about five saps. How many were we going to have? Fifty. 
Oh. Oh, we're only ten shows in. I know it seems... Yeah, 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 and this yeah, may yeah. be something to do with the universe expanding, but it seems longer. Uh, but, yes, we are going to... Uh, we'll make Tim one immediately, because okay. he's reminded us. Okay. So Tim is in charge of... Uh, he's a time sap. Uh, okay. 50 saps. When, when this, in a year's time, when it's like global, this show, and everyone, they're going to be revered, the saps. But we must get after them anyway. He says, in episode nine, you discussed the definition of time, and I thought the following definition might pique your interest. Time. Nature's way of making sure that everything doesn't happen at once. I have heard that before. But this has to be alloyed to space. Nature's way of making sure that everything doesn't happen to you. Uh, oh. I suddenly th- can understand time a lot better this way, and I've, you know, I've been in a green room with Brian Cox, uh, uh, and but he doesn't put it as succinctly as that. Time, nature's way of making sure everything doesn't happen at once. Although I'd, I'd quite like that. <laughs> <laughs> like when those firework displays. All go that's, on it. At once. that's it. I would, you know, the World Cup final 1966 happening alongside. I don't know, <laughs> the making the Spanish Armada. I nearly said the making of Sergeant Pepper there, but they were pretty side by side actually. Yeah, the Spanish Armada and Watkin de Word, you know, bringing his CV along to Caxton. Anyway, he says, I hope this is not too philosophical for the tree hat. No, here's the thing. We might sound like we're, you know, just babbling along in the, in the shallows, but this show unearths... Mm. No, 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 it's, 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 it's great truth. It is great... Maybe something else. Uh, no, I won't. I'll re- we've got to get through these emails. We've got a mountain. We ask people to do this. Uh, so um, this, is, this is quite good. This is... Uh, do you want to play my Steely Dan knockoff? Oh, yes, please. <laughs> you cold your lip at it. Uh, I go to... The, I try and get, um, you know, sites that provide music for... You're down a lot of money. I'm down a lot of money, but you know, trying to build up, but you can't play. The so-called free music isn't I know. free. So I typed in Steely then, and they put, and, and there is the, the, the keyboard structure in this. Uh, the, it's kind of Donald Fagan-esque, but this is the best we can do at the moment until uh, he replies to my mail. Can we use some of your songs? Uh, here we go. That's not Steely then drumming for a start, no. but nevertheless, that is the keyboard. Thirty-seven dollars this cost me plus tax. It's better be a good email. It's what they use on a scene change in an eighties sort of sitcom. That's, 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 that's aggrandising it, I think. I think he's done pretty well. Anyway, welcome everyone. It's got something of a groove going mm-hmm. on. Anyway, this is uh, from our friend Peter. Celebrities your nan hated. Oh. Celebrities your nan hated. Uh, didn't your nan ever suffer from chillblains? Does anyone still suffer from chillblains? I think she used to tell me I would. Yes. If you sat on the radiator. Yes. You were always warned about them. They never materialised. No. You'll get chillblains. Uh, well, a, I don't know what chillblains might be. Well, and B, did anyone actually ever have chillblains? They were supposed to be when you went out and got cold and put your feet by the fire. Mm. Uh, uh, but nans warned against them like oh, it was yeah. the, 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 the plague. Uh, you know what you'll get? You sit that close. As you say, chillblains. Chillblains. Also, the other one was um, you'll feel sick if you sit with your back to the fire. Sit your back to the fire. Mm. Uh, Don't want to go out on top of a hot bath. I literally used to see myself with a bath, like with a pair of braces holding it. (laughs) And out I went (laughs) with this fixture with me. Cheese before bedtime and all of that. Anyway, but Peter doesn't want to get bogged down in there. Okay. Uh, So here we go. 
I'm 58, and I can remember my grandmother's reaction to Bruce Forsyth when he came on to present the Generation Game in the 1970s. Oh, him. Can't bear him, she would mouth at the TV. My granddad and her fought like cat and dog, but he agreed with her on this. You know what it is with him, he would add. He looks like an emu. He would look up from an improving book to say this. The same phrases were repeated every time he breezed onto the TV screen. Another bet knob was Michael Aspel. Sometime in the 1970s, he grew a moustache, and my grandma would say, Hello, you can tell someone's divorce has gone through. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, see, Nan's... The the internet needs more Nan's to just... That pretty much cuts right all the way through it. Uh, Grandma and Grandad had strong opinions on all TV presenters, anchormen and comedians. Tommy Cooper was funny, Morecambe and Wise were not. John, John Noakes was sound, but the magpie presenters were a bunch of hippies. Incidentally, again around 1975, ours was the only household to observe the remark upon the ageing effects that colour TV brought as per uh, black and white. It did. It did make people look old. That's quite true, it did. Uh, so thank you very much indeed, Peter. That's a tremendous... Uh, that uh, yeah, Nan seeing someone with a... Well, Michael Aspel, of all people, with a tash. Yeah, see someone's, <laughs> someone's divorce has gone through. That was beautiful. One more, Pip. Uh, this is from Simon Fenton. This is about a nom de plume, which I can't remember whether we asked for these or not, but it, it, it doesn't matter. We're, we're just here to try and cheer you up on your walk or your drive or whatever, and then we're out your way. There's no deeper context. When I was doing my art A-level at six, Form College, I became the phantom art critic. Oh. Whenever the art room was vacant, I would write a critique of someone's painting and leave it for them to find. I'd write it in the most flowery poet prose I could muster and sign it the <laughs> phantom art critic. Some reviews were kind, some less so. It became a bit of a badge of honour to have been critiqued by the phantom, oh. kindly or otherwise. And of course, I had to write one for myself on occasion so as not to oh, get rumbled. Oh, just throw them off the track. I did it every now and again for two years and nobody has ever found out it was me. I am. Um, as you know, I was a, what can be called a rock critic for many years mm-hmm. uh, at the New Musical Express. Uh, and you, even, now, see, even now I can never... And some of the many shows I've done that have garnered less than favourable reviews in a career I insist we call uneven. Uh, uh, I can't complain because I used to get the, such stinkers <laughs> because I thought the jokes were funny. You know, it was... It was I just, oh, there's a joke there... Uh, I remember writing a someone, some singer songwriter wrote a uh, thing, a song called um, "Welcome to My World," and it was a nice enough ballad. And in the NME, which wouldn't have reviewed it normally, no. I thought I've got this. So I just put a two-word review. I put a three-word review. Small world, isn't it? Right. Uh, that was it. And I met him many years later, and he reminded me of that. And you can't apologise. And I mean, no, it was all right. You know, it's great to be in the NME. But the worst was um, literally a, a fellow who uh, was in a. Uh, he, was, uh, he wasn't a waiter, but he had a sort of bar. He owned it. He wasn't a waiter. And he came up and said, I was in a mod group. Can't remember who they were. Might have been the Merton Parkers. Can't remember. Uh, and he said, you reviewed our album. And at that point, you swallow something <laughs> hard and jagged. Oh, yes. <laughs> the, amount, the amount of good reviews I did was, anyway, minimal. And he said... Um, Bearing in mind, he's now owning a bar. Yeah, and, and he came and stood over us with a smile on his face. And he said, uh, if, he said uh, our band broke up because of your oh. review. And I said, I am, my friend, what can I tell you? I was a mere callow beardless. He went, no, no, you were right. We were, we were terrible. I said, it's very good of you. He went, no. He said, because I got a proper job. He said, I own about three bars now. He said, I, I don't want to be playing the Butlin <laughs> circuit with After that's very good of you. He said, do you remember what you wrote? I said, no. He said, we were a mod band. Remember it? I said, I don't. He said, 
You said we went like lambrettas to the slaughter. <laughs> I said, I said, that's rather good, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> anyway, as usual, we're getting nowhere here. Uh, so uh, I believe there's somebody on the phone. We have Mark Anthony. Do we really? We do. Oh, tremendous. Mark. Hi, Danny. And Mark, thank you very much for being there. And, of course, throughout your life, people have said, Mark Anthony. Is that right? Uh, they, they have. Uh, unfortunately, I'm the third in line. It's my father and my grandfather. Well, that's... So, you know, was... complete, complete lack of original thinking. No, 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 you should be... Abs- we was just on the last podcast talking about how uh, if Louise had any sense, she would embrace the Napoleon uh, <laughs> heritage in her family and she would be Napoleon, uh, uh, Pepper Napoleon, Pepper Napoleon. Mm-hmm. Mark Antony, that's terrific, my friend, uh, because that was the name of the bulldog in the Tweety Pie cartoons. <laughs> it really was. Uh, it well, was. It was, yes, it was, and that's much better to be remembered well, what by. What was Butch? There? Oh, he was Tom and Jerry, wasn't he? He was, he was sometimes, yes, he was sometimes called Butch, uh, mm. and his little pup that used to go, ha-ha, that's my boy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mark. Why are you tugging a coat this morning? Um, you, you had a guy on a, a few weeks back, a few episodes back, about uh, he'd attended a, a press conference where he bumped into David Bowie. Yes, he did. A, oh, a, yes. a vaguely similar story. Oh, good. Come on, my friend. So back in the uh, late 1980s, I was working on a magazine that specialised in construction, focused entirely on construction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a very junior reporter at the time. So mm-hmm. we had an invitation come in to the opening, the grand opening of a new monorail system at wow. the Eaton Towers theme park. Uh, okay. Yeah, quite. Uh-huh. Um, didn't excite me too much because I was based in London and didn't really fancy the idea of travelling all the way to, to Staffordshire to see the opening of a monorail. Uh-huh. Until I read the, uh, the invitation. Sorry, I put on music far too aggressive for a monorail there. <laughs> I do apologise. Yeah, so off, off you go to uh, uh, with the Simpsons overtones and everything to the monorail. Yeah, yeah. And well, it turns out that the grand opening was actually going to be conducted by none other than William Shatner, the uh, Star Trek player. Oh, oh. So, all of a sudden it, it made the uh, the trip a little more appealing. So, mm. sure enough, I, I I joined the press party there, and the press party on the day was you know a couple of local TV cameramen and you know a few construction journalists and that kind of thing. Mm. And, and sure enough, William Shatner. So we. We, the press party were all led into a room and we were given a very, very, very quick briefing to say that uh, Mr Shatner doesn't particularly like crowds, so don't get too close. <laughs> there, there, was, there was about 12 of us, so I don't think that was ever going to be much of a, a, a danger. <laughs> don't rush him. So, sure enough, William Shatner it, it drove in inverted commas this monorail, which took took the uh, passengers originally from uh, the, the, one of the outlying car parks to the entrance to the gate. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he, he did it in full Captain Kirk mode, you know, at this time. He, he Star date, whatever it was, and you know, captain's logs, and you know, he, he really entered into the spirit of the spirit. Of course, he, he did. He was really good fun. Yeah. So, sure enough, we get back to the park, having been on the, the monorail. Big crowd gets off, um, and there's a train waiting for us. One of these little, like a butler's train on wheels. Yeah. So I follow the crowd. Um, you know, I'm wearing my my big red press badge, and I've got on on this train with the uh, with the crowd, and we've gone up up in the hills <laughs> to like a Swiss chalet restaurant. Very good. Uh, I walked in, and like my mum told me to do when I was a kid, I went off to the to the toilet to wash my hands. But I put my jacket on the back of a chair. Yeah. Came back, and everyone had taken their seats, and I'm sat beside the the lady mayoress of Utopsitur and <laughs> the Lord Lieutenant of, of Staffordshire, and and uh, the, the local chief of police, and, and at the end of the table is, is William Shatner holding court. Mm-hmm. So we've had a, we've had a fine old time, you know, had a, had a, a nice three course lunch, plenty of wine. William Shatner being William Shatner, telling lots of, sort of Hollywood stories. 
and that kind of thing. Mm. And it was at this point I realised that I was wearing a big red press badge and nobody on my table was wearing one. They were all wearing gold badges. Mm-hmm. So I kind of leaned back in my chair and looked around the room and it quickly became apparent that I was actually the only person in the entire room wearing a red badge. Oh, yeah. So I thought, well, I'll, I'll keep my head down, you know. So we finished the lunch and, and got back on this little mini train and, and wound our way back down to the gate. Um, and there was the press corps, you know, a few draggled-looking um, cameramen and that kind of thing. Unbeknown to me, I'd gone off with the dignitaries, uh, and they'd been led into the <laughs> press room where they'd had about an hour and a half of death by PowerPoint and a few <laughs> dog-eared sandwiches and cold sausage rolls. Oh, so, wonderful. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I got to hang out with William Shatner and they got the cold sausage roll treatment. So, you you, mo- <laughs> you know, they, they say there's no such thing as a free lunch, which is an empty phrase, because here's our correspondent here, Mark yes. Anthony, who, who found it, if you just, you know, be a bit bold and defy a convention and just get on the right coach, you'll end up having a dinner with William Shatner <laughs> while plainly wearing a red badge. Uh, did, Absolutely. Did you, at no point did anyone say, I, I wonder if you'd mind going back to the, as you described it, death by PowerPoint. You, you sailed for it, yes? Absolutely, yeah. I, I, it was it was bizarre. I mean, I don't know, there was no allocated seating, so I don't know if anybody actually spotted the fact that there was an interloper in their midst and decided to just keep their heads down and, and hope that nobody else noticed. Well, but it, no, it was... Well, William Shatner, or Bill, as I like to know, uh, I, I, I met once in a hotel room, I had to do a thing uh, with him, a sketch, if you don't mind. <laughs> and uh, I understand what you mean when you say Mr Shatner doesn't like crowds. He's extraordinarily prickly and almost comically pompous mm. on Twitter. But I think he does that as an act. Uh, but I met him, and I walked straight up to him, as I often do, to, well, always do to people, and I, you know, grasped his hand, and I said, uh, you know what the funniest line in this is? Hello. Uh, and he backed off with terror in his eyes. He went, uh, and it's the first time I've ever heard the expression, Mark. He backed up and went, uh, you're really invading my personal space. Oh. That's what he said to me. Ah, uh, you're really well, invading He did, and I, and I had no idea what he was talking about. Uh, I didn't remember that line in the sketch, because I just said, what is the funniest line in this? <laughs> Suddenly it became the funniest line of the day, but well done, my friend. And, and you remind me of the uh, callers we once had who, after England won the World Cup in '66, decided to go and up and join in the uh, celebrations afterwards with a, a hotel in the West End. Oh, nice! With the Lord Mayor of London, he, they did. And there were photographs of the England team on the balcony waving to the millions outside. And at the end was our two friends who just walked into the hotel, got in a service <laughs> lift, went up and joined it. So gate crashing is a subject for next time. Thank you, Mark. What you got over there, Peps? This is Rachel. Mm-hmm. If you're still taking parrot stories, and why wouldn't you be? Well, us, us and Barry Cryer, yeah. Here's something. My mum and dad used to own a cockatiel called Eccles after, oh. the, after the character in The Goon Show, which gives you an idea of how long ago we're talking. Eccles escaped, never to be seen again, because my dad was driving up the A1 with the bird loose in the car. What? Whether this was routine or just a one-off, I'm not sure. And as my parents are no longer with us, I can't ask whether Eccles broke out of his cage or just routinely enjoyed a run out in the car. I tend to think it was the latter. It was fine until a policeman pulled their car over and was unmoved by my dad's frantic sign language for, I can't wind down the window, officer. There's a bird loose in here. (laughs) Eventually, he had to wind down the window and Eccles saw his opportunity and flew free. Part of getting older is reflecting on missed opportunities to ask your parents things. It's a story that's passed into family legend and we'll never know why Dad was driving a cockatiel up the A1. Well, these, again, I don't want to do a, overload the subjects. Never stopped me before, obviously, but I don't want to overload the subjects. But uh, uh, animals in cars is always good. <laughs> or certainly um, uh, mysteries that... See, my mum... 
We took our dog to have a tooth out once uh, and uh, in the 1960s. And he was a lovely old dog and a uh, black Labrador cross. And uh, we took him to Mr Champterloop. That was his name, Mr Champterloop. He's a New Zealand fellow who took out uh, the dog's tooth. And he said afterwards he's not. He's going to be groggy, you know, because they gave him gas or something. <laughs> uh, served him right about time we got him one back. <laughs> anyway, so he um, uh, we gave him gas. And my mum had to took up there the uh, a push chair, baby's push chair. She borrowed off a neighbour and put him in it and wheeled him down Southwark Park Road uh, in it with a blanket over him because she thought he'd be cold. And there are people out there saying, do you remember that woman we saw she'd take her dog out in a baby's... Oh, bless her. <laughs> that... She knew it was a dog. <laughs> Probably can't imagine any kids. Uh, what you got over there, Pebs? Uh, this is from Danny. This is found on the pavement. A few years ago, me and my pals started a competition to find the best food in an unlikely place. I found a complete uncooked place on a pavement. Nothing else around it. No bag, no wrapper, not near a shop or a fishmonger. In fact, it was outside the B- old BBC building in Aldwych. Oh, <laughs> just a piece, just a just piece of fish. Just a uncooked bit of place, yes. A whole place. Yeah. Now this is the, a this, complete this, uncooked place. But you know this this takes us into a, a territory when when it rains fish. Oh. That's what happened there. Yes. Just one in this case, but it rained a place. Danny uh, found it. A, a, any you've got on that. And, and while we're um, going into the unknown, I didn't do this at the top of the show, uh, but this is worth doing. This is the one where you say, who's that? Mm-hmm. So Ezra Cornell today, born Ezra Cornell. Who's Ezra Cornell? Well, he's a philanthropist, born in 1807, the Cornell University. Oh, know, OK, that's, that's right. Yeah, big and he was the, the founder of Western Union, the uh, money oh. and uh, telegram service. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did all of that. But uh, never mind about him. Um, he can take care of himself in history, Ezra Cornell. I was, don't ask me why I do read down these things. I do it purely <laughs> I, I, on the you day of a show. I just give. think, well, because people go on there and say, uh, you know, today is the day when so-and-so topped the charts or it's someone won't. But you look at Ezra Cornell, there lies the meat in the claw of the crab. Because down at the bottom of it, it wasn't much, to be honest. It was a pretty <laughs> gruelling read, Ezra Cornell's Wikipedia page. Uh, but it said, in 1990, G. David Lowe, the astronaut, took with him on the space shuttle a pair of socks that Ezra Cornell is said to have worn on his wedding day. <laughs> <Why>? <laughs> A pair of this old boy's socks. Well, you'd have thought the contamination would have been, but Ezra Cornell's socks have been into. Maybe this is like luxury items on I'm a Celebrity. <laughs> Indeed, it is. Of all the things, uh, the, a photo of his children. Uh, no, he took a, a Ezra, copy of Shakespeare. How he, how Ezra Cornell's almond rocks ever fell into private hands, we have no idea. <laughs> and we're important enough to go into space. Now, I mentioned, uh, but did they come back? Here's the thing, and I'm not trying to build this into a bit. Wouldn't the temptation be, and go with me on this, to wind down the window of the space shuttle? I know, I know, with one of those old <laughs> proper windows. Sorry, officer, windows. I've got a bird in here. Uh, you, <laughs> you wind down the window and you let you let his socks go free. <laughs> wouldn't that wouldn't that just be the? the and there they go in formation <laughs> out into the universe. <laughs> His wedding socks, if you please. And on a parallel planet some 20 billion <laughs> light years hence, another Earth uh, space shuttle gets launched and a bloke looks out the window and marching past through history are Ezra Cornell's socks. <laughs> now, I'm going to ask you this, Pepsi, and it's a terrible thing to do, put you on the spot. Oh. What would you... Do, what would you, what would you give unto the ages. If you could release something into space, <laughs> what would it be? I'm gonna, I've got... Um, 
I don't have anyone's socks. No, you don't. It doesn't have to be socks. It doesn't. But I've got. I will release a copy of Bernie Winters' 1972 flop song. It's Bernie to go out there in space. And I want to say to anyone at this station, station, something else who listens to this, so it'll never be heard. That this it's Bernie by Bernie Winters. We've got to license for the show. I don't care if EMI or whoever owns it says that's going to cost you ten grand to play that on your show for a year. I will I will start a crowdfunder and I hope the people out there, like Mark Anthony and his friends, will crowdfund us so we've got a record to play. Uh, we're not going to ever get Hey 19. That's going to be too much. But I want, and I, so I'll, I would release that out into space. But in the meantime, we've got to get behind uh, It's Bernie as of the show's record. Anything in, you'd in, in terms of... In terms of a recording, I'd, I'd have that, that bit of... Donners and Aggers when they can't stop laughing oh, at the well, cricket. Oh, that's beautiful. I, I'd be a beautiful thing just to unleash out into that is the beautiful. Uh, that, out it, into the atmosphere. That's, that's a nice thing. And and those uh, it's Bernie by Bernie Winters and a pair of Ezra Cornell socks. <laughs> I think sum up the the human tragedy in in three items. There you go. That's how that's worked. This is from our friend Ian Peps. Uh, it's what famous people have said to you in dreams. Oh. And I'm going to play the, the faux Steely Dan music behind it because if I pay thirty six dollars for something, I'm going to milk that sucker. Here we go. Uh, this is Ramian. I once met Jimi Hendrix in a dream. By the way, and truly, today is the day that Jimi Hendrix recorded Purple Haze in 1967. Oh, I tweeted that this morning. Appropriate. He went into the studio today and made Purple Haze. Makes what we're doing look like a piece of cheese, doesn't it? Anyway, <clears throat> I once met Jimi Hendrix in a dream. We were standing outside a well-known burger chain. You see, you don't have to do that Yeah, anymore. we're not there anymore. What do you think that is? Uh, McDonald's, surely. You can say that even on the BBC. What well, did you say now, roughly when? McDonald's or Wendy's. That was Wimpy. Wimpy. Burger uh, King. Burger. What's the other one? What's the one that likes to think it's the upmarket one? The, um... Something burgers. Uh, what oh, they uh, gourmet. There's a few gourmet ones. Yeah, but there's uh, another one. My good friend uh, Dave is there. Byron. In Byron Burgers. Yeah. He's been to every Byron Burger. Oh. Dave. No, he's their ambassador. And they keep certain types of burger oh. under the counter for him. Yes, they do. Anyway. Oh. I once met Jimi Hendrix in the dream, says Ian, again. While standing outside a well-known burger chain in Northampton Town Centre, I met him. I asked him what he would have done had he lived... His response was as intriguing as you'd expect. Well, I had 30 years of albums planned out. That's what he said. That's, that's very nice. That's legit. Uh, I stood and watched in amazement as he sung lines from songs I'd never heard before. <gasps> Get me a guitar, I'll play them. Now, this seems to be too, too linear for a dream, but we'll go with it. I stood and watched in amazement as he sung lines from songs I'd never heard before. Uh, I ran down the main street looking for a friendly busker to borrow a guitar. Eventually, I found one and handed it over. When I got back, Mr Hendrix was nowhere to be seen. How about that? Uh, when I awoke, I wrote down some of the lines he sung. As you can probably tell, despite my best efforts, I've had no hits. Now, this is not that <laughs> film that they did about the Beatles when the fella uh, gets hit. Well, because didn't Paul dream yesterday? Yes, he called it Scrambled mm. Eggs. Yes, he did. Uh, uh, lots of songs have been uh, thought up in dreams. Mm. And, uh, but uh, the, the idea that Jimi Hendrix appeared to this fella and said, I'm going to give you, you know, 30 years of back catalogue. I like that his brain copped out and went, I can't supply that. I can't, I'm, I'm going to make him disappear when he comes back because I can't possibly deliver. But it's the day that a purple haze was uh, uh, delivered to this earth. What are you saying, Pep? We've got Jeff on the line. Hey, our friend Jeff. Jeff. Morning, morning, Dan. How are you doing, yeah. Jeff? Thank you very much for being with us, Jeff. We um, uh, uh, 
this is show 10. Uh, what's it called, yeah. Pepsi Show? This one is Life on the Isle of Grain. OK. Uh, and what, what have you got for us, Chef? Well, it's, uh, it's going back to one of your topics from the last decade, which is the uh, which is uh, limited stroke disappointing menus. Oh, OK. Oh. Yes, indeed. You go to a place and their menu uh, is less than spectacular. What do you got? Well, about five years ago, I was travelling through uh, the former Yugoslavia mm. on a rail trip with a friend of mine. Mm. And we, we started off in uh, in Belgrade, in Serbia, and we ended up in, in Split in Croatia. But uh, one of our stop-off points was, uh, was the lovely town of Sarajevo. Uh-huh. Which, of course, has uh, many uh, historical connections. It, 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 it was the powder keg of the First World War. Indeed, and that, that's part of where uh, where I had dinner, actually. Oh, um, so we found ourselves in a little in a little restaurant, which was a converted house, and we, we were talking to the, the waiter about the history of it, and he mm-hmm. basically told us that uh, the house that's now the restaurant was formerly on the other bank of the river that uh-huh. runs through the middle of Sarajevo, and he said the, the owner of the house uh, had basically been approached by the uh, city dignitaries back in the late 1800s mm-hmm. and told that we need to build the city hall here and that we're going to demolish your house. And he said, well, that's fine, as long as you dismantle it brick by brick and build it on the other side of the river and build me a bridge to get back over into town. And that's exactly what they did. Bravo! Exactly what they this, did. This, and this, here we are now, all these years on, it's now a little restaurant. And, and, and you know, talking pictures, all civilised people agree, is the best television station in Britain. And sometimes they have these completely lost... Uh, uh, mild British comedies, possibly starring Brian Ricks in the afternoon, and this is the plot of one of them, writ large. And brick by brick, they just moved his house across the way. They built it across the river, they built it, and then he turned around and said, well, what about the bridge? I've got to get back into town and get my shopping. Um, so they're building the bridge as well. This is the kind of thinking we have down here in the capital, by the way, the one they were going to build out of flowers recently, I believe, was uh, ne- nearly went through. The menu in the place, was it any good? Well, the menu was OK. Going back to the city hall that they built, that was, of course, where Archduke Franz Ferdinand was coming out of when he got assassinated. Yes, he so, was. You know, yes, he was. No good of it came after all that anyway. Well, yes, so some, back... some good of it did, because wasn't there a group recently <laughs> called um, Assassination? No, uh, Fr- uh, Franz Ferdinand. <laughs> yes, there was, I believe. So every cloud and all of that. <clears throat> Anything else you got so, for us, my friend, or are you so, done? So back, back to the restaurant. So uh, <laughs> we've had our, our disappointing watery soup as a start and, and a dumpling-based main course. <laughs> yeah. And uh, at which point the, the sullen youth who looked like probably the son of the, the woman who owned it, it was a Monday night, there's only us two there, mm-hmm. uh, came over and said, would you like dessert? Uh, we said, well, we'll have a look at the menu. We thought we'd come this way, be polite to you. And he, he came over, as waiters do, with the original menu, but just showing the back page, as it were. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've sent you a picture of the menu. I don't know if you've seen it, but it, it, it says uh, item number one, cake. And that's it. Item number one, cake. Cake. And that was it. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> well, Just the sheet with one item on it, three Bosnian marks, which is one pound thirty. Yeah. Cake. Uh, so uh, he came back and said, "Have you, have you decided?" <laughs> and, uh, well, yes, uh, we'll have we'll have cake. What cakes have you got? And he said, "Just cake." <laughs> right. Okay. He then went across to the other side of the the, the, uh, the room and trundled across a, a trolley straight out of the nineteen seventies across the rippled carpet with this enormous, very dry-looking plain sponge cake on it. Mm, mm, mm. Mm. Yeah. And we said, well, we'll have two slices of that, please, which he then served up. And I said, have you got any cream? Expecting it to be as dry as anything. And he said, yes. And he came back and opened a can of condensed milk in front of us. Beautiful, <laughs> exactly as I like it. Yeah. And, and, you're, com- and you're complaining about this, are you? <laughs> <laughs> Danny's writing down where this is. <laughs> yeah. 
And, 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 and we are. I mean, the, the Bosnian conflict has only been over 20 years by that point, so we can't expect too much. No. But, but it, and, and but of course, if you'd have said, do you have any uh, uh, Grappa or Slivovich, a list as long as your arm of would have course. turned up. <laughs> well, uh, if you don't mind just hanging on for one second, uh, I can cool. best... I can oh. best your menu, because in the same part of the world, Tomo is in touch, and Tomo tells us this. In the early 1980s, I travelled across Eastern Europe, Bulgaria, Hungary, Yugoslavia, Poland, Czechoslovakia, Russia and Romania. One restaurant I encountered, this was the worst and there were a few, was in a hotel in Moscow, a huge intimidating room filled with empty tables and chairs as if awaiting a mad rush. Me and two colleagues sit down, watched carefully by some 30 to 40 waiters who were paid even if they weren't busy. After about a quarter of now one slouched over. Somebody had picked the short straw, I suspect, and he took our order from an extensive menu. After being told this dish was off and that dish wasn't available, my friend got the courage up to ask exactly what was available. To this day, I can see the waiter's face as he took a basil faulty-like sharp intake of breath and said, Sturgeon. When my other friend asked if there was anything else, all he got in return was, The sturgeon's good. He said, But what else is there? Sturgeon. Suffice to say, we agreed to the one of the most expensive items on the menu, and it was dire. Hey-ho, <laughs> communism has a lot to answer for. Now, I picked up the wrong one, though, if I'm absolutely honest. There's one that even beats that. But, uh, uh, and how much time did you spend over there, and did you ever have a good meal, my friend? Uh, it was different in every country we went to. It was all a little bit, um, little bit stodgy, a little bit dumpling. One thing we did have in, earlier that day in Sarajevo, because you must, one thing you must do is visit the brewery, because that was the only way that the natives could get water during the conflicts back oh, in the nineties, because yeah. it was a well. Yeah. And there's a brewery tour, and they, they said to me, uh, you must have the special sausage that we do in the brewery special. restaurant. <laughs> it, you would never have tasted anything like it in your life. And this waitress came over with this, this sausage with some chips and some mustard and she said taste that it's unbelievable mm. and uh, my friend and I put it in her mouth and it tasted of saveloy did it oh. yeah, again it was a I mean nothing I wrong with my spiritual oh, this place. I'm <laughs> yep. legging it there bro I'm yep. gone well thank you very much indeed thank you very much for, for joining us Jeff uh, I love the bit in that uh, when they said uh, have you decided yet <laughs> Because I know, and I've been funny here, that uh, certainly Wendy, uh, when even if they just said cake, and they said to Wendy, "Have you decided?" But um, I'll ask him first. <laughs> I'm still looking every single time. You could, could come ask, to me last. Come to me last, and then you look at it. And thank you very much indeed, Jeff. And what have you got over there, Peps? This is from Matt. Uh huh. It's similar to one we, we had last week, actually. Uh, this is prizes you won but didn't want. Back at the dog end of the 90s, unencumbered by hindrances such as partners and offspring, my flatmate and I each Thursday were devoted participants in a local pub quiz. Our level of success from week to week ebbed and flowed, but were often up at the business end of proceedings. One December, we led the pack through each round, only falling agonisingly short in the final reckoning. No matter, the cash, po- the cash pot may have eluded us, but in finishing second, we were rewarded with the gift of a frozen turkey. Given the season, we were quite delighted. We returned home and wedged it into the tiny freezer compartment in our pokey-rented masonette. Of course, the title of submission is Prizes You Won But Didn't Want. And of course, on returning to the pub the following Thursday, you can guess where this is going. Yes, once again, we were good but not quite good enough. And second place was ours once more and another frozen turkey. (laughs) On lugging it home, we naturally discovered there was no chance it would fit in the freezer alongside the previous weeks and we left it on the worktop drunk and unsure how to proceed them not the turkey following morning I left for work before my flatmate and that evening I got home before he did and found the turkey had gone 
when my flatmate returned a little later, rather worse for wear and not in work attire, I said, where have you been and what the hell have you done with turkey number two? To celebrate our success, he'd called in sick from work and taken a frozen turkey all the way from Tooting to Highgate on a tube, donated it to a mate and then, on returning to South London, elected to get off at Clapham North and pub crawl the whole way home, regaling all and sundry (laughs) with tales of a cross-London turkey mission. He was sacked a few weeks later. (laughs) (laughs) What a bizarre set of circumstances. I mean, I enjoyed them, but the idea that uh, he would take a frozen turkey on the tube, I suppose. A frozen turkey. Turkey. Write that down. That's, that's a future autobiography in the making there. Uh, here's the one that um, uh, uh, should have picked up the other one in era when Jeff was on the phone. This is the winner. I don't think anyone okay. can come back with limited menus more than this. And I'll tell you what, to be honour it, I'll play the Steely Dan music behind it. <laughs> Here we go. <clears throat> 12 quid play F- now. This is from Eamon in, in Bedford. This could be a sketch. <laughs> he could be guying us here, but I, I, I tend to believe him. I was in a rather run-down bar in Guatemala, in the Guatemalan town of Solala, a few decades back. Feeling peckish after a long bus journey, I asked to see the menu. After considering the options, I plumped for the chicken. No, we haven't any chicken, I was told. Never mind. Um, beef. I'll have the steak. That'll do, please. And there isn't any steak. Chips. No. No chips. We eyed each other. What what do you have then? Nothing. We what? have we have no food today. Why are we having this conversation then? I said. He looked at me. You said could you see the menu? <laughs> That's our menu. <laughs> Eamon, he's, he's, he's put at the bottom, I promise, a true story. <laughs> you walk into a cafe, can I see the menu? Um, yeah. <laughs> it's quite right. The contract isn't we've got the things on here. That, in an ideal world, would be our menu. So, uh, Jeff, hope you're still listening. Uh, that'll, uh, uh, that's, that's the best of those. What you got there, Peps? This is from Chris in Welling Garden City. Your only autograph I ever got. When I was about nine years old in 1982, me and my friends went to the local park. On this occasion, Lenny Henry was there. Filming an advert for Smith's Square Crisps. He had a live pig with him and an animatronic pig which rolled its eyes like Lenny would do on Tiswas. We watched and waited and asked for his autograph, then realised we had no paper. My friend had to race home, get the paper and the rest is history. However... (laughs) I've looked online for this ad and I have never found it and I now think I dreamt it. No, I, I, something, uh, uh, something something in my mind remembers that, mainly because I think I was probably up for that ad and didn't get it. Uh, but uh, uh, on these weeks, we run through some of the ads I was up for and didn't get. And some that I did get, that the, people remember the big ones, but some that I... Sally Strawberry in the Munch Bunch. Nobody remembers my oh, Sally I Strawberry. the Munch Bunch. Oh, had, Sally had, Strawberry. You know, existed, you know, what, you know, I was one of the Weetabix as well. Uh, it used to be... Uh, Bob Hoskins used to be the um, sort of skinhead Weetabix. Oh, in yes, the Weetabix yes, game. yes. And, uh, and, for, and then Bob, Bob thought he'd taken the role as far as he could. Bob just said, you know what, I like the guy, but I don't think there's any... I said, let me look at that. And they sent me the script and I looked at it and I found a few things in there I don't think Bob had found. And sure enough, on the later editions of the Weetabix gang adverts, <laughs> that's not Bob, that's me going, if you know what's good for you... <gasps> Me. Anyway. By the way, uh, Skinhead Weetabix is another title. Skinhead Weetabix, that'll be the next show. If you do want to ever get in touch by phone... If you wish to telephone the show, please call the exchange on this number. 
Always will, Wisby. I'm going to end with... Actually, let me end with something a little uh, a little odd. I think this is very odd. Here we go. This is uh, the last email, and this is from Andy. And I think this was... Um, uh, things you found on the pavement. Oh, OK. We'll end with this. While spending in the most enjoyable night tripping on Hunstanton Beach... Oh, I didn't see that there. there. It makes the rest of the, makes the rest of the email a farce. <laughs> we'll, we'll start with that next time. We'll start with that because I didn't read that thoroughly. What happens after that is explained by the, the one thing, word in that what I just said. Then it doesn't make the rest of it credible at all. Thank you very much indeed. Let's end the show. To that silly frown as we chase our cares away in the treehouse. The fire's on, it's warm inside. We guarantee you'll be satisfied as we laugh the day away in the treehouse. Take it away, Daddy! Always do, Wisby. Uh, thank you, of course, to Louise Pepper on the other side of the table, co-hosting this uh, fiasco with me, <laughs> Phil Wilding and Josh Through the Glass, and everybody here at Something Else. We'll be back with you on Wednesday and again Saturday, and if you like this, you have to press like on whatever device you're on, and it puts us toppermost of the poppermost. Hey, how about one more playing of... <laughs> oh, yeah, getting it down now to about a five pence a play. We'll see you next time, everyone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.